Mac Power Users, Episode 189, OS X Server with Todd Oltoff. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. Hello, Katie Floyd. How are you? I'm good, David Sparks. How are you? I am doing great. And we have a guest today, uh, Todd Oltoff. Welcome to the show, Todd. Oh, thank you. Great to be here. You know, we did a show uh, called the Mac OS X. We called it the Home Server Show. It was show 126, which goes back a year or so. And we, at the time, at the very beginning of the show, I said, this is not a show where we're going to talk about uh, installing Mac OS X software because I have no clue. Instead, we did a whole show about what would you do if you had an extra Mac running at your house to run mail rules for you and you know iTunes and some different things we talked about on that show. Uh, a year or so has passed. I still am not an expert on Mac OS X server, so we thought we'd bring one in, and that's what brings Todd to the show. Uh, so thank you, Todd, for coming in and helping uh, shed light on this topic. Oh, no problem. Great to be here. Yeah, if you don't know Todd, he has got a really great series of screencasts he's been doing on various uh, Mac software, but in particular the OS X software, uh, server software. And what is it? I think it's a series of, is it 10 screencasts? Well, I think right now it's probably up to about 23 or 24. So, uh, is, I, are those all, um, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, Todd yeah, has yeah, a, yeah. has a ton of screencasts. I, it, we'll put a link to his YouTube video in the show notes, but I spent the entire Easter weekend. I was a little under the weather, so I, I didn't go out very much. Um, just binging, preparing for this show, the things that I do, it was a labor of love. Um, watching all of your OS ten Mavericks screencasts and they were wonderful. You've got twenty I want to say twenty four. Yeah, I think that's about I think that's about right. Mavericks. Yeah. I must and, have misread it. And that's all on server? Yeah, that's all yeah. on server and I've done I've done a few series. I actually started doing these back with Lion. Yeah. And went through and then went through again with um you know with uh Snow uh Leopard. Or no, let's see, what was the next one? Um Mountain Lion, and then started again uh, now with Maverick. So I just keep kind of doing them over and over again because things change and people kind of like to follow the most current series. Yeah, but you you also have – yeah, I'm sorry. I was going to say – That's what got me. I didn't realize there were several series, yes. You also have some other screencasts that maybe aren't pertinent to this particular show, but I'll I'll mention them. Um, Like I've bookmarked, you have a series on Plex. You have a series on Little Snitch. Um, so you, you do a lot of these for the, it's a great service to the Mac community. So thank you. Oh, no problem. Yeah. I love doing it. Um, I also have done some screencasts with uh, a co-location, uh, outfit called Mac stadium, uh, out of Atlanta. So I do some things for those guys as well on maybe a little bit more technical things that you could do with a server in a co-location facility. So it's been a lot of fun. I enjoy doing it. So Todd, give us a give us a little background before we dig into the server on, uh, who you are, what you do and, and how you what makes you the server guru? How did you decide to get into this? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, obviously, this isn't my day job. Uh, my day job, I'm a, I'm a pastor, uh, actually, and so that's what I do during the day. Uh, and uh, technology's always just been something that I've been interested in. Uh, in fact, my dad is the one that really got me started with tech. Uh, way back when, I still remember when he brought, brought home, I think it was, a, I want to say a Tandy, uh, way back in the day. And I remember him playing with that uh, for a weekend and then got frustrated with it and took it back and then brought home an Apple II. And so from that point on, it's been, you know, Apple computers uh, there on out. And I mean, he even had, uh, I think he did his dissertation on, a, on the original Mac 
and uh, and then he even had a Newton and all that stuff. So he's the one that got me really interested in technology. And then the server part of it just came up uh, just out of my own curiosity. I had you know done a lot of things with my Mac and had seen server and thought, well, I'd like to learn it. I always like to learn new things. And so I started off with uh, Snow Leopard server, which was kind of Apple's first attempt to make uh, server user-friendly. They kind of had an add-on on top of their, their core system. And when I went to learn that, there was nothing out there uh, on it other than lynda.com. And that was geared a little bit more technically. So I fought my way through Linda, uninstalled and installed more times than I'd like to count, and uh, just taught myself how to how to do server, and uh, just went from there. I think there's a little uh, history in order here. So it, traditionally, the Mac server software was a big deal. It was like a thousand dollars. You yeah. needed specialized like the X serve hardware, which doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of a thing. So for a long time, server to me was like this thing out there that IT professionals might need in a big office and not of concern at all to the home or the small business user. But then all of a sudden, and I think it was with Snow Leopard that was the first time that it became reasonably priced. And then they started saying, well, and you can run it off a Mac Mini. And all of a sudden, all these people like Todd out there started to say, well, what can I do with this? And frankly, that's one of the questions I want to answer today is if someone's at home listening to this, why should they care about running a version of Mac OS X server in the small business or home environment? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and you're right. That's, it, it, it was, it was kind of back when they started changing server over that uh, I got interested in it because I, you know, I didn't have an X-Serve hanging around or anything like that that I could use. Um, but yeah, it, it's, there's a number of things that you can do with it for a home user uh, that would really that it's really beneficial. Uh, one of the things that uh, you can do with it is, uh, I've got a household with three boys, and we've got all kinds of iOS devices and Macs around the house. And uh, any of you that have kids know that the kids will be fighting over the fastest computer, right? So, you know, whoever gets their login on that computer, that they say, hey, that's mine. I, you know, I, I have to do my work on that one because I've got my, I've got my user ID on it. Uh, well, what server does is it allows you to, to set up their home folders and their home accounts actually on the server, and then they can log into any computer on your home network and have their home folders and desktop come up. So that was one of the, one of the reasons I got started, and it was to solve a lot of fights and stuff I had in the household over, over what kid was going to use what computer. Uh, I like that. That's good. Yeah. So if, you, if, you, yeah, if you've got kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, the other thing, too, that, that uh, you know, becomes an issue is managing you know, all the devices that you have in your household. And so with each new device we'd add, I'd have to, you know, go in and configure it and put the settings on there and, and all of that. And uh, the nice thing about server is you can actually uh, set up profiles uh, for all the users and your devices, and those things can be pushed over the air to your devices and automatically configure them. So that uh, if I ever make a change, I don't have to go to each device. I can make a change once and push it. It'll go to all the devices and make those changes. Uh, so that's that's kind of another benefit. I mean, there's a there's a whole bunch of other things that home users might want to use them for. Todd, we you know, as David mentioned in the beginning of the episode, we've talked a little bit about running a kind of having this Mac in your home that is that is always on. And 
I call it, you know, having a Mac server at your house. And in fact, I have a Mac mini at my house that I call my Mac mini home server, but I am not running a version of, of OS 10 server. And it does things for me, like, like David alluded to of, you know, it, it serves up my iTunes library, uh, to my, all my Apple TVs around my house. And I've got a copy of, um, Apple mail with spam sieve running 24 seven so that my email gets filtered off with, uh, custom rules and it gets, you know, the spam gets sieved off. And, you know, I've got a few other things that just, you know, the benefits of having a computer running 24 seven that, that we can't yet do with, with some of these other drives, like a Synology or whatnot, or a, a Drobo that network attached storage just hasn't quite gotten there yet. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what are the real benefits of running a server, a true OS 10 server? Yeah, I mean, I think. I mean, you, and how is how how do I know when I? I, I guess a better question because you talk about the benefits, but but how do I know when I've graduated to that point, so to speak? Yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying. Um, you know, I think you know. First of all, the the I think everything's kind of moving in the direction uh, when you see the I, iOS devices and things like that, where you would have kind of a central home server uh, that would serve up your content. Uh, you know, with all the cloud storage options and things that are out there, uh, you know, people are already looking for that. And OS 10 server, you know, is a great solution because, first of all, it's only $19.99. And it's not a cut down version of server either. Uh, you can run offices on this, uh, you know, and all of that. Uh, in terms of, you know, knowing when you've graduated to, to needing a server or, or wanting to use it, I think it just it comes down to your use cases. Uh, it'll run on a mini, so that's the great part. I think another question people usually have is, well, if I if I use it as a server, do I give up my mini? You know, and now I can't use it for anything else. Great thing about server is you can install it and it runs in the background. You can you can actually use your Mac as a normal Mac. You don't have to just dedicate it as a server and leave it alone. Uh, all those processes will run in the background, so that you can still use your Mac like a main computer. And that's that's what I do. I use it for all of my uh, home computing stuff. And then uh, run the server stuff on on the back end of it, and so it just runs that way. Um, but I think, let me interrupt right there, real yeah. quick, Todd. So, what what kind of hardware? Just so people at home can get an idea, what kind of hardware are you using to run a server in your home? Yeah, I'm just using a Mac Mini. So I've got uh, a 2012 Mac Mini, um, which I I customized. I um, you know put in a, an SSD, and then you know have two drives in it. So I've got the extra one for storage. Uh, and then I've just got a, I've got a Drobo attached to it, uh, for my storage and, uh, that's it. That's what I run from there. Uh, you know, I've got, obviously got my airport, airport extreme, uh, base station as well. Uh, how much space does it take to install the server software on your drive? Boy, I think server is only, boy, that's a great question. I don't know exactly, but I think it's like a, it might be 500 megabytes, maybe something like that. It's uh, it, negligible. So. It's really negligible. And uh, it just sits right on top of OS X. So I think what it does is it kind of opens up um, a lot of things that are sort of running under the surface already. So it's really negligible, the things that it installs. So what what made you decide to start tinkering with server? I mean, it, it sounds like you don't have to do this as, as part of your day job. It, what What prompted this? Yeah, I mean, some of it was just, uh, you know, the, the nerdy side of me just wanted to, to see how it worked. Uh, that's, you know, I've always liked to explore new things. So it's, this is a hobby for me. So part of it was just that curiosity. Uh, and then when I saw, you know, one of the uh, things I wanted to solve was at the time I was trying to do wireless uh, time machine backups. And oh, I had, yeah. right. And so I had hacked together something with my airport extreme base station. But what would happen is it would always, 
you know, it would run great for a while and then it would stop working. And then I'd say, well, great. It's, you know, how do I know where it stopped? And it was just a pain in the neck to do that. And I saw that it, you know, time machine backups were supported. Wireless ones were supported with server. And so that's really kind of one of the things that got me interested in trying to figure this out. I thought, well, if I can run it, then I can do wireless time machine backups for everybody in the household. So I don't have to remind people to connect drives and all that because my, my wife wouldn't remember, nor would my kids. And then, of course, they lose a file. And, you know, I was kind of tired of, of troubleshooting all of that. And so that's really where I started. I, I started with that curiosity and uh, the rest just kind of went from there. I can tell you from my perspective, just the idea that this used to cost a thousand dollars and is now twenty just makes me inherently want to try it out just to see what I've been missing all these years. And yeah. that, that makes that makes no sense at all. But I can tell you at a gut level, that's one thing that I would be thinking about. Oh yeah, exactly. I know. At twenty dollars is is I mean it's nothing. And the great thing about it is, like I said, you can install it and never even worry about it. It's kind of like any other application. So, and then you can also uninstall it. You know, so it, it it's not going to really hurt anything if you if you put it on your machine. And so that's the great part. Until you turn on services, you could operate your Mac just like it's not even there. Another piece of this that I think has really changed in the years that we've even been doing this podcast because we we talked about doing a show on OS Ten Server years ago. And at the time I didn't want to do it because it was just so complicated. And back then I had a, you know, I went to a friend who was running a server, an OS 10 server, and just looking at the, the buttons and bells and whistles and levers you had to pull to make the whole thing work. It was, you had to really know what you were doing. And at the time I thought this just doesn't make sense for our audience because you really have to be an IT professional to make this work. Whereas now, um, this has been iterating for the last several years, and Apple has very clearly turned the direction of this stuff towards a consumer-facing server product. And now, uh, you don't have to be a, an IT professional to kind of install this and start you know, fiddling with it and making a difference in your, your home network. No, you really don't. And, and that's, that is really the beauty of it. Uh, and I, like I said, I think, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of us in the future, we're going to, you know, probably be running home servers to access all of our data and using, now that we're using a lot more mobile devices, it's nice just to know that you've got, you know, your data in one place and you can access it from anywhere. Uh, that, that really is nice. That, that's frankly, one of the questions I have about all this is, um, and, and at some level, a server makes more sense now than it's ever made because, all of a sudden, we want mobile access to data, and we want the ability to share information across a network or a platform. Uh, on another level, servers don't seem as relevant because we've already moved so much of our data off to our Drobos and our Dropboxes and our transporters and all these other, you know, these other technologies that have arisen to give us cloud source data. Um, and I'm really curious as the show goes forward to see how that works. You know, David, you make a great point about that because when we did the Cutting the Cable show, and it's been a couple of years now, when I when I first cut my cable TV subscription was when I decided to go ahead and buy a Mac Mini that I was going to use as a home server. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm using that term in quotes because I never installed the server software. But my idea was going to be that I'm going to have this, and, and number one, it was more of an excuse of I'm going to go ahead and buy this Mac Mini with all the savings that I'm going to have from not having cable. But this Mac Mini is going to allow me to to get all of these, to do all of these great things, and to have access to all of these this content that I couldn't otherwise. But I think I would, although there are certainly other reasons to have a server, I think if I had to honestly step back and look at it. 
I have not used that Mac Mini as as much as I thought that I would. And if I had to do it all over again today, I, although there's certainly advantages to having a second Mac in the house, I really can't tell you that I need it because even, you know, the change from 18 months ago to what we can do now, just about the only thing that I can't figure out a way to otherwise do um, would be some of the mail filtering and, and iTunes hosting. But, you know, our NASs have gotten smarter, our, our iPads and iOS devices have gotten smarter with AirPlay, Apple TV has gotten smarter in terms of the services that you can now use on it. Um, so it, it's interesting. I, I think you're right. I think a lot of these things are shifting. But that also brings kind of the, the question, as you said, this is more of a consumer-facing server. Um, Todd, is it too much of a consumer-facing server? Can it be, uh, can this also be a server that, that works for business? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, in fact, you know, I think, you know, the core of it was really designed to work for business. And so that, yeah, schools run uh, things off of this. You can run a small business off it. No problem. I mean, that's kind of the kind of the cool part is that you could, you know, you could run a small uh, business off a of Mac mini, uh, which takes hardly any power consumption and uh, and you can run run it right from there. So, yeah, it absolutely can work that way. Uh, really, the the main limits in terms of uh, you know, how many machines you can have hook up to, to your mini and things like that. A lot of it depends on your bandwidth, obviously, uh, because you're going to be accessing these, you know, how many machines are going to be accessing at one time. So you might need more than one mini, depending on the size of your business or the number of machines that you've got on it. But it's, it's, av- it's absolutely built, uh, you know, with industry in mind. So, yeah. And, yeah. and I think cost-wise, you know, Apple sells a Mac mini with OS X server, that starts at a thousand dollars. You you certainly don't have to buy that model. But thinking back when when we bought a traditional Windows server for our office, I mean, I I think we spent seven thousand dollars on that box. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, it, it's uh, the cost savings is is huge. Uh, you know, if 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 you can do it. I mean, a lot of businesses are already invested. You know, with their with their servers and with Exchange and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, I don't see that it's necessarily going to be a big move that business is going to jump on it strictly just because of price because they've already got investment. But certainly for a small business or a school, uh, it works really well. All right, I have an agenda. I want to talk about um, how you go about installing one of these, both on your main system or a backup system, mm-hmm. and uh, what you're going to do to make them great. And also, because Todd has got so much screencasting experience, I thought it'd be fun to kind of just talk screencasting a little bit, talk screencasting shop, because we do get a lot of questions about that. Uh, but before we get into any of that, I think we should have our first sponsor read. And uh, Katie, you have something to share with us with a brand new sponsor. Yeah, we do have a brand new sponsor for this episode, and that is our friends over at Belkin. And David and I have talked about Belkin quite a bit. We, we talk about them all the time with their Wemo line of products, and, and we'll have more about that in a minute. But what I want to talk about right now is the Thunderbolt Express dock. And this is a dock that I've been using uh, for my Mac for uh, about a month or so now, and it has really solved a, a great problem for me. And, you know, my, my big problem is, is I've got this MacBook Air, and I love the MacBook Air. I love the port and the flexibility that comes with my MacBook Air, but it doesn't have that many ports. It has a single Thunderbolt port and it has a couple of USB 3 ports. 
But that's it. And I really got myself into a bind uh, a couple of months ago when I was out giving a presentation with my MacBook Air at my local Mac user group. And I needed to be plugged into the projector, which means I needed to have my, you know, Thunderbolt to VGA connector plugged in. But we were having Wi-Fi issues. And I also needed to be plugged into the Ethernet port so that we could have our guest presenter come talk to us over Skype. And I just thought, oh, boy, I'm in trouble because there was no way to plug in both my, you know, Thunderbolt to VGA dongle and both my Thunderbolt to Ethernet dongle. And uh, someone went in the back and came back and somebody had one of these Vulcan Thunderbolt Express docks. And it was just beautifully solved the problem, helped me out of a jam. And I vowed from that day, this is something that I have got to check out. So what this is, is it is a dock uh, that is designed to match the, the look and feel of all of your Apple products. It's got that nice aluminum brush metal look and feel to it. And you plug it into the Thunderbolt port in your Mac, and then you get so many more ports. For example, it's got two Thunderbolt ports, one upstream, one downstream, and you can daisy chain up to five additional Thunderbolt devices to it. It's got three USB 3.0 ports, one FireWire 800 port, one gigabit port, um, and then it's also got audio in and audio out ports. And then it's got a, a power port, and I've, I've got a video up on my website where I talked about hooking this up. So with this one port on my Mac, I can now hook up all of my USB-powered devices, and I've got a couple of them now with, between my ScanSnap iX500, and I've got this Voyager dock. Um, and I'm not running out of devices. I'm not having to go out and buy new USB strips. I've managed to make everything work. I can still use some of my old legacy FireWire hard drives. And I can plug into Ethernet while still having my old 24-inch monitor cinema display connected. So this Thunderbolt port has just solved a real problem for me and allowed me to keep my desk clean and clutter-free and connect all of these devices uh, with with one single cable and really solved a lot of problems. So you can check out the Thunderbolt Express dock on their website. Um, in fact, it recently got a pretty significant price stock, so you can go pick it up at Belkin.com for only $1.99. It got a $100 price drop, but we can do even better than that because between now and May 18th, if you go to Belkin.com and use the coupon code PODCAST10, you can save 10% not only on this Thunderbolt Express dock, but on your entire web order. Um, now, I do need to tell you that this promo code is only available at Belkin.com, and it's not valid on any prior orders, and it cannot be combined with other offers, and it's valid in the U.S. and Canada only, and all that other speed read stuff. But go check it out over at Belkin.com. Check out the Thunderbolt Express stock. Check out their whole entire line of products. And while I'm talking about Belkin, they have put on a special contest just for Mac Power User listeners. And David, they know how much you and I love our Wemos. And they came out with a new feature recently for the Wemo light switch. These are their internet-connected light switches uh, that you can use to control your lights or anything that's connected to a light switch, like fans or whatever, with your iOS devices or with the internet through If This Then That. So they recently introduced a new feature called Long Press, where you can press and hold your light switch, and it will create an if-this-then-that trigger. So, for example, if you lost your phone and you can't find it, hit the Long Press button on your Wemo light switch, and it will tell if-this-then-that to call your phone. Or Don't you just love that? I know. That's pretty cool. It's, it's like all of a sudden, the internet is controlled by your light switch. 
<laughs> Just yeah. think about it, you know? <laughs> now, now you could do more practical things. Like you could say, press the button and hold it for three seconds, and it will like turn off another Wemo device, you know, like the lamp that's right next to it. But I'd, I'd much rather press and hold and have it call your phone. But so Belkin wants you to come up with all the cool ideas that you can use your Wemos with if this, then that, and specifically this long press uh, feature. So if you go on to if this, then that, Create some custom recipes and and go wild. Create your most unique recipes that you can on If This Then That. And then in If This Then That, there's a feature where you can share your recipes and then you can tweet your recipes. And so if you tweet your recipes using the hashtag WEMOMPU, that's W-E-M-O-M-P-U, we'll be able to do a search. We'll be able to find them. And then, David, they're actually going to let us pick a couple of people, U.S. and Canada only is where these light switches will work. Um, and we're going to send them some light switches. So how's that? Yeah, I think it's a great idea. And I think our audience is going to deliver on this. Yeah. So um, I, I, I just installed one. I installed a Wemo switch on my porch light in the front. So that seems like the best, one of the best places for the switch. Yeah, I've so, got you one know, there I, too. I turned the power off, I hooked it all up, and it's really great, you know, driving home, being able to um, turn the, the light on uh, on the front doorstep. But what if I got home and I just wanted to long press that and send a message off to my family to say that I'm home already? I you think know, like you if might they're not, do that. But you're, I giving, think I, you're giving away all your secrets. Well, I, I, I think our audience is going to blow me away with something even better than that. But that's just an idea. Yeah. Um, so we're also, we're going to run this contest through the end of the day on May 18th. Um, so go create those If This Then That recipes, share them, tweet them uh, from If This Then That using the hashtag WemoMPU. And then uh, David and I will collect them and uh, we'll have Belkin send you some switches. How's that sound? Yeah, it's also not a bad time to get yourself a dock. I really like, I got one too. And it's really great because I don't have cords stretched all over my desk now. Yeah. Well, thank you, Belkin, uh, for your support of Mac Power users. And uh, we look forward to talking more about their products in future episodes. Okay. So uh, one of the points you make really well, Todd, is the ability to go and just, this is 20 bucks. You can install it. It's not going to take over your computer. And I think that's one of the hangups people have is this idea that you need an X serve or you need a dedicated machine to run a server, which means I'm going to lose an extra Mac in my house or um, I'm going to wreck the Mac that I'm doing my day job work on. Um, uh, so, but that's not the case, right? No, not at all. And uh, in fact, when you install it, uh, the services that are included in it aren't even live until you configure them. So, yeah, you can you can absolutely install it, use your computer like normal, and uh, try out the features. And you can even uninstall it if you don't feel that you need it anymore. So it's, uh, it really is a good thing to check out. And you don't need to go buy a $1,000 Mac Mini. You could take um, an older computer in your house. Although it does need to be running Mavericks. Yeah, for yeah, it does need to be running Mavericks uh, for Mavericks server. I, I think they still have maybe some of the old ones live. Uh, depending on the operating system you're on. But yeah, for the current one, you definitely have to be running Mavericks. Or you could even so. go on like Craigslist and buy a couple-year-old Mac Mini for probably a pretty steep discount and, and try it out that way. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't have a huge investment to get in the door with this stuff. No, really, there's not. In fact, I had a uh, I had one of the old Mac Pro towers I was using for a while and, and uh, just got rid of that and went with a mini and uh, mainly just for the energy use because I'm keeping it on all the time. And boy, I, I saw a drop in my uh, my utility bill. That's for sure. 
Yeah, I well, bet. And, and to be clear, you don't have to use a Mac Mini to run server, right? I mean, it, yeah, if I no. happen to, and, and I, I, I agree that that's the optimal solution, but if I happen to have a uh, an older MacBook Pro or an older iMac or, or whatever I may happen to have that, that I want to use as a server, as long as it meets certain hardware specs, then, then I'm good to go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can run it on uh, on anything. You can even run it on a uh, a MacBook Pro if you wanted to. Now, I, I wouldn't recommend that because when you take it, then your whole server goes down. But yeah, you could run it on that. If you had an old one you wanted to hang around, people have run a uh, server on their old MacBooks, MacBook Pros as well. So yeah. Yeah, I've, I've got a four-year-old iMac that I used to use to record the show on that is increasingly uh, becoming less and less used and like listening to you talk i'm thinking well why wouldn't i just load it on there just to see what i could do with it yeah absolutely it's a great way to experiment with it and uh and try it out and and that way you can just and if it works you already have the hardware so it should run fine in the background all right so i'm in let's say i'm i decided i'm in i'm gonna do this where do i start okay well yeah so if you're in you want to get started obviously you download uh server uh, and then once you've done that, you have to decide, you know, kind of what services do you want to run? Uh, so do you want to run it as a time machine backup? Uh, do you want to run, you know, most, most people for sure will want to run file sharing. Uh, do you want to uh, use it in some ways as an iCloud replacement for things like calendar and contacts? Uh, you could run it. You could run it for that. So you, the second thing you do is you just decide what do I want to what do I want to use it for. And and sometimes you just start with a few services and try those out, and then you back into the other ones. Uh, the other thing then you have to decide is how do I want to access uh, access this server? Because you can run a server just in your local network, and that's all. You just have access when you're at home, uh, or you can run it in such a way that you can access it remotely. And there's a couple of ways that you can do that. Uh, you can run it remotely by turning on the VPN service and then using VPN to get back into your server remotely. Uh, and I know we can talk more about VPN because I know you guys have talked about that before. Uh, or if you wanted to, you could register a domain name and then basically hook up your server that way so that you can access it remotely through uh, your domain name and do it that way as well. So you could have a domain, oltoffamily.com, and your server is plugged in. Yeah, you have this. You have you, you could have an oldtoffamily.com that you register with an outside domain registrar, and then what you would do is at that registrar you would go in and uh, create uh, what they call an A record. It's a machine record uh, for your server. So you might put like server.oldtoffamily.com, and then uh, once you've done that, and that'll point to your public IP address that's on your router. So in your router you have if you're on an airport uh, extreme base station for instance. Uh, on there, it'll show you what your public IP address is. You just basically put that public IP address in your domain registrar for that machine, and then it'll basically point right back to your uh, right back to your home server. And yeah, so you can do it that way. Or if you wanted to, if you wanted, to, if you didn't want to register it, uh, you would create uh, what Apple recommends as a .dot private address, which you could make up, and uh, use VPN then to sort of VPN to your server remotely and access it that way too, if you wanted to. I think we're getting ahead of ourselves, though. The first step to saying just downloading and installing, that's just done through the App Store, correct? Yeah, that's just done right through the App Store. So you pay your 20 bucks, and it installs a piece of software. Mm -hmm. And that is the, the, the back-end server engine. Is that a good way to put it? Yeah, it's a back-end server engine, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it's an application. So you'll, you'd launch it like any other application. You get an interface. And uh, basically, then you, then you would go about you know, setting up the different services that you want. Yeah, but before we get to the services, if you're trying this at home, 
and you paid your $20 and you just quit that application, then you're no longer running a server, right? Yeah. When you, well, when you quit the application, yeah, you're not running any of the processes. Everything's installed uh, there and ready to go. So, it, you know, it does add some things like, uh, uh, you know, a, uh, for a web server and those kinds of things. But it doesn't function until you turn those things on. Now, what type of, of load are you putting on your CPU? I mean, that's one of uh, the common questions relating to servers is, wow, if I'm going to run this as a server, isn't that going to be really hard on the computer? Uh, no, it's not really. Uh, it's not that big of a load. Um, I, would, I would say in terms of your uh, specs, you probably do want, uh, I would say personally, at least 8 uh, gigabytes of RAM. Uh, because you know, if you're if you're logging into the server from different machines, it will put uh, you know a little load on the RAM a little bit. Um, but in terms of the processor, I really have it. it I really haven't uh, hit any extent where it's taxed it too bad at all. And and you also have storage issues, not just the, for the server software, but for the data files for the various users, right? Yes, exactly. So you want to make sure you have enough storage. Uh, and that's why I say, you know, the nice thing about running it off something like a mini is you can get an external drive uh, if you wanted to. And, you know, like nowadays with Thunderbolt drives are really fast, but you could get an external drive. And then on there, you could put, you know, all of your different files and things for users if you wanted to, as well as backups, you know, time machine backups and that sort of thing. And that's kind of ideal for why the mini is so good for this. You could you can get a mini and run it headless, and like you've done, you put the SSD drive so the operating software is on a very fast disk, and then you put the data on an attached spinning drive, and that's probably good enough. Yeah, that 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 would work fine. And like you said, you can run it headless or with a monitor. Uh, so if you wanted to just you know you could use it like a server, put it in a closet, and then you know access it uh, you know from a laptop or. Uh, you know, using certain, um, you know, VNC type software, you could access it on your iPad as well. That's a lot of information we just went through. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so for the hypothetical user now, you've spent your $20 and you've installed it and you open up the software and it's called, I think it's called server.app. Isn't that the name of it? Yes. Uh-huh. It's called server.app. So, okay. So you open that for the first time, and then they hit you with these various options. And, and when I say hit you, it's not nearly as hard as they used to hit you, because now it's pretty simple. It's like, use it to store files. Use it. I've been watching your videos, too. Mm -hmm. And what's remarkable to me is it's very much common language, and it's very clear what you're about to do. Yeah, and they and what they've done with this version, which is really nice, too, is, uh, is they have put kind of a, a built-in how-to guide you know, that, that works uh, kind of like a, you know, kind of like a, a ScreenFlow type document where you just walks through how to set certain things up and what buttons do. So they did make that. They finally fixed that because that was always been an issue. Uh, but, yeah, it, they have wizards kind of for, for certain things to, to set up so that it's telling you what it's going to do and, uh, and tells you what, what it's going to do ahead of time. So it, it really is uh, a lot more simplified than when I started, that's for sure. Now, how much of a network administrator do I have to be? Because I know you walk through some of this in your YouTube videos, and mm -hmm. you talk about, uh, this isn't that complicated, but setting up DHCP reservations, and you talk mm -hmm. about making sure that you open up certain ports on your router, and then connecting this to your domain. Do I necessarily, does everybody have to do all that kind of stuff, or is it really only if you're connecting it to an external domain? Can I start simpler? Yeah, you can start simpler. It, it really depends on, on the services you want to use and how you want to use it. So, uh, for instance, most people might, let's say they just want to use it for file sharing. 
Um, then basically all you, all you have to do with that is file sharing is kind of turned on by default uh, on a local network. And so you could, you could file share in your local network uh, very easily. Uh, like I said, the other thing home users would want to do with it usually is time machine backups. That service is very easy to start, uh, and it even has settings in it. Uh, what it'll do is it'll work kind of like a time capsule works. So your, um, your time machine backups will be in uh, image files. And the nice thing is you can set how big you want those image files to get, uh, similar to what Drobo's done with their software. And, and, and that's one of the updates, right, with, with Mavericks, that before they didn't give you that ability. Yes, exactly. And that, that's a huge update because that's something people you know, were asking for because otherwise, obviously, as you guys know, Time Machine will take over your drive if you let it. And so, yeah, so that's, it's added that ability to set that. And you know, for a lot of home users, that's a great place to start because those are usually problems that they want to solve. Um, and so that's, that's where you start. And then you can, you know, kind of play around with some of the other, uh, the other services that are built into it as well. And, and with respect to file sharing, that's essentially just creating a, a pool of storage that anybody on the network can access. Yeah, it, it creates, you can create a pool of storage that anybody can access, or you can, you can set it up kind of from the drive level or all the way down to folders if you wanted to. Uh, so kind of like it works in the regular, um, you know, right inside system, you know, on your regular Mac where you can set permissions uh, for who can access what. And, uh, and you can, like I said, you can do it for folders all the way up to, the, uh, to a full drive itself. And then users can just uh, connect to it. And it kind of works uh, in, in similar ways, especially if you're leaving your uh, Mac mini on all the time. It would work like a, a network attached storage would, where if people wanted to, you know, if you wanted to have a pool of storage people could log into, they could do that uh, right on your local network. And you can even set it up uh, through some of the profiles that it would just automatically uh, mount uh, when people start up their computers. And how do you use that in your home? So, uh, yeah, so in my home, what I've got is uh, all of the kids in my home, um, you know, have their home folders and everything on my server, like I said earlier, so they can log into any machine. Uh, but what I've done is I've created uh, for media, I've got all my media on uh, on, a, on a drive. Uh, actually, I've got it on my uh, Drobo. So I share uh, that media there so, the, so all the kids can access uh, whatever media that they want to access from there. And that's how I use that. Um, I've also got it to where um, I like to manage uh, some of their files and things for schoolwork uh, just because, you know, they usually end up uh, needing it or losing it. So I've got a central place where they put that information as well. And uh, once, you, once you train them on how to do that, they start getting used to it and uh, it works pretty nice. And then, and then dragging that same thought, the file sharing into like a small business, you could have like a file with your accounting files that doesn't have access across the network, but mm -hmm. you could have like certain client files or, or, you know, marketing files that certain people can get access to and other people can't simply by putting them in appropriate folders and limiting access. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's how it's, how it's set up uh, to do it that way. Yeah. It works out really nice. I do think this is a really great idea if you're in a small business and you're, and you're sharing and you've got a, a Mac network. I mean, I, I think in a lot of ways that makes more sense to me than like a Dropbox or something where everybody has access to everything. Right. Yeah, it allows you to limit, limit, uh, you know, limit it a little bit more and have just a little bit more control over it. Um, you know, like, like even at home, you could use it for, you know, if you had a place where you wanted to store Christmas ideas for the kids, well, you could set it up where they don't even see the file. So they don't even know that file exists. Uh, but my wife and I could get access to it, for instance. So you can set it up to that level. 
Well, let's let's talk a little bit about those features of having multiple users and and what the users can do, and then being able to share files back and forth of those users. And someone will be able to tell me where this is, but I think it was in one of the original demo videos for Next Step. You know, the Steve's op, uh, second project when he left Apple is is he talked about imagine that you just sit down at your terminal at the office and all of your files are there. And mm-hmm. you go to another computer and all of your files are there. And and I don't remember where I saw this video, but he, but he was talking about Next. And you were explaining how this could work with OS X Server. And I thought, gosh, this is the same thing that Steve was talking about all those years ago, kind of the dream of the, the Next operating system. So you could have multiple users with Server, and no matter what machine they log in to on, in your house – their files are there. Tell me how that works. Yeah. So what you, yeah, exactly. So what you do is you just set up, uh, you know, user accounts on the, in the server application. And so those would be called network user accounts. And what happens is, is you just, uh, check a box that you want to have, uh, their home folders, right? So all of the, all of the typical Mac home folders have those live on the server. So instead of living on an individual machine, like when you're on a Mac and you set up your own uh, accounts on there and you manage those accounts right on that Mac, uh, you're managing those now on the server. Uh, and so the benefit of it is, is if I'm just managing it on the Mac, uh, those accounts go with that particular Mac. Uh, they don't cross over. But if I'm managing it on the server and all of those files are sitting on the server and I set it up where I connect all of my Macs to uh, you know, to my server, then what happens is, is uh, I can log into any computer and it's going to pull those home folders, my desktop and all those settings, off of the server and display them on the Mac that I'm in front of. And that's, that's kind of how that works. Now, I can see that working very well in a business environment where everybody has desktops and they just log into the terminal in their business. How does it work in a home environment where, you know, maybe your kid logs in or you log in and you've got your home folder on the server. But then if you want to take a laptop and walk away and, and go work somewhere off site, I would imagine not so well. Yeah. And, and with that, there's a, uh, you can do a mobile uh, account setup where what'll happen is it can sync your full, your uh, home files to that Mac. So you can, so you can set it up to sync so that when you leave your network and you're working on your Mac, when you come back into the network, it'll sync up with the server and sync your home folder so that they match. So there is, there is that setup. And yeah, that's a little bit more technical. Um, with my kids, because most of the Mac use is inside the house, it works fine for me. I don't have to sync anything because when they go outside the house, they're using their iPads is what they're using. So it, I haven't had to uh, do too much with mobile sync, uh, but I've used it and it, and it works, it works pretty well. And then speed wise uh, at this point, you know, you're, your home folder is is on the server, so whenever you're pulling information, you're pulling it from the server, and you're you're not necessarily working locally. Are you seeing much of a speed hit, or today is is Wi-Fi or however they're connected Ethernet fast enough now that that's not the bottleneck? Yeah, and that's a great question. You, you d- depends on your on your uh, you know kind of your network environment as to what what the speed will be um, definitely you'll see I see speed hits if we're try to if you're trying to you know edit movies or things like that that's just you know you're gonna see speed hits but for uh, everyday file sharing um, you know maybe you're working on uh, pages or those kind of documents uh, it seems to work fine uh, but if you're trying to do you know uh, other things with uh, a lot of heavy media 
yeah, you will see a little bit of a, of a slowdown, uh, especially with a, with a home network. You know, when you're, I guess probably when you're in a business environment and you're connected by Ethernet as opposed to Wi-Fi, uh, you probably don't see too much of a slowdown that way. Boy, it really is interesting because this stuff answers so many problems that we had before we had things like Dropbox and Box.net and Transporter. And how, how does it fit now with kind of this changing environment? Uh, but before we get into that question, I want to talk about our second sponsor today, and that is our friends over at the Omni Group. Uh, in particular, I wanted to talk about Omni Outliner because today I went into one of those meetings where they said, Dave, uh, this is a big mess and we aren't really sure what to do with it. And will you please help us solve this problem? So the first thing I did was I opened an Omni Outliner file on my Mac and I just started writing down all the little things people were telling me and none of it had any relationship to each other. You know, it's one of those things where people just kind of dump things on you and it becomes overwhelming when you get that kind of information. And historically, like I would have used a paper pad to start writing those things down, but they were completely out of order and disconnected and a mess. And using Omni Outliner, I was able to just kind of write everything down. And then as this meeting went on, it was a, a two-hour meeting, you know. You know I don't like long meetings, right, Katie? But uh, this one went long and it was necessary. I started dragging things around in Omni Outliner. And by the end of the meeting, not only did I have a really good idea of what was going on, I had a really good idea of what we needed to do. And it was really great seeing the effect it had on the people in the room because they felt powerless at the beginning of the meeting. By the end, they felt like, hey, this guy's got it figured out. And he's even giving us some things to do that finally are giving this, you know, getting this battleship pointed in the right direction. And I did all that because of, of Omni Outliner's fantastic ability to take a bunch of disjointed information and organize it. And that's how I use Omni Outliner. The Omni Group now has Omni Outliner 4 out, which has some great new features. Uh, zooming, text can be magnified on the screen without changing the print layout. They've got this new user interface. Uh, they've got this really great resource browser now. The sidebar, which uh, allows you to list the contents of your outline, works better than ever, so you can jump around specific pieces. They completely redesigned the inspector, which is really fantastic now. Um, they, they've really just come a long way with Omni Outliner 4. Theming is another thing I really like, because once I had this meeting, uh, I applied a theme to the document I was done, and not only did I have it organized, it looked really pretty, which sounds silly, but that's kind of important when you're trying to share information with people to make it really easy for them to read and understand. And I'm doing all of this with Omni Outliner 4. Um, not only is it great on the Mac, they also have a really great version on the Outliner 2 now out for the iPad, and everything syncs through the OmniSync service. So as soon as I left that meeting, it had already synced through my OmniSync folder, which Omni controls, so everything just works great, and I was able to look at it again later at lunch on my iPad. So... Um, just today, uh, the Omni Group paid, you know, paid its weight for me because it helped me get through a really difficult problem. Now, if you're out there listening and you've, you've not tried Omni Outliner, you can get a free demo from theomnigroup.com, and I recommend you do because you really have to kind of experience an app like this to understand how great it is. The people at Omni are a group of really fantastic computer programmers, graphic designers, and, you know, all the all the necessary pieces you need to make something that looks great and works great. And uh, 
I don't know what to say, except I'm not sure how I would get my day job done without Omni Outliner in my bag every day. So go over to the omnigroup.com. You can, you can buy the software there. This is one where I would recommend you actually buy it from the Omni Group because they've built their own back-end sync engine. You don't need any iCloud. And that gets you, you know, the ability to use upgrade pricing, which the App Store doesn't have. In fact, when, I, when they came out with this new version, I bought the upgrade pricing for my version. Um, you can get, uh, it's $49.99, or you can get the Pro version for $99.99. Uh, they do have family plans and student discounts. So go check it out. Let them know you heard about it from us. And bring order to chaos in your life with Omni Outliner for the Mac and the iPad. Thanks, Omni Group. All right, so let's talk about some of the other features and some of the other things that you can do with OS X Server. We, we've talked a bit about users and, and setting up users on the server and, and sharing files. We've talked about Time Machine. But you talked a little bit about using server as an iCloud replacement. Tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, you could, if you wanted to, if you were concerned about managing your own data, uh, you could set up your own um, calendar setting and contacts uh, server and then have all of the information uh, pushed to all of your devices, uh, similar to what you would uh, you would do with iCloud, uh, with the exception that obviously you wouldn't have the web interface uh, to access it uh, or anything like that. Uh, but you could. You could set up your own private calendar contacts. Uh, you could host mail uh, as well. But what I usually recommend for home users is is not to do that. That's a lot of headache to get into. Managing your own mail server is... Uh, you know, is difficult, usually leads you to problems. Sometimes your ISP doesn't even let you do it. And uh, so I usually tell, you know, tell home users, hey, if you're thinking about mail, uh, don't. <laughs> let, somebody, let somebody else worry about that. I don't even run my own mail server just because of the hassles of it. Uh, but you could do it if you wanted to. Uh, and there's also a messages server on there as well where you could, um, you know, kind of send iMessages and things back and forth, uh, which, again, you know, it, it, it's good uh, in some ways if you have kids and you want to get their feet wet in this kind of thing. You can manage it all yourself without having it uh, kind of on the outside just so they can get used to those those kind of services. So, uh, yeah, those are some things that you could set up. Uh, not as oh, – go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say – while outsourcing mail may make a lot of sense, but I can I can certainly see small businesses wanting to keep control of their calendar and their contacts. That that would make a lot of sense. Well, it, it's funny because I remember you know Katie and I have been talking about this show for like four years, and we keep going back and kind of looking at it and trying to decide if it's something worth bringing to our audience. And before there was an iCloud, this to me was one of the big benefits of running server. But back in those days, it cost $1,000. But, you know, the idea of having a family calendar that you could run through a server made a lot of sense to me. But now these are some of my least attractive features of the uh, server product because Apple, frankly, has really delivered with the iCloud uh, contacts and calendars. And I'm sure I'm going to get a mail about that. But, you know, in my experience, these things have run very well. Yeah, and it's not, you know, it's not something that, you know, necessarily everybody, you know, would want would want to do. Uh, but the option is there, you know, the option's there if you if you want to do it. And and I think that's probably, you know, one of the big questions for most people is if if you can't think of a reason why you want to run a server, then you probably don't need to run one. Um, but if you're thinking of, you know, different problems you want to solve, then a uh, server has, you know, would have some solutions to those to some of those problems. Uh, you know, for some people, they, you know, for whatever reason, they might want to have just a just a calendar with their kids. And, and instead of having all of them on their one calendar, 
this is one way you could do that uh, is just to have that separate from iCloud. But you're right. I mean, iCloud and a lot of those other services really, uh, really do deliver. So for your average person that isn't trying to solve those kind of problems, they work fine. Well, like if you work for um, what was Maxwell Smart's agency again? It was there was chaos and oh yeah, I'm um, blanking. Um, a control, control. That was yeah. it. Yep. Like if you work for control, you don't want to put your calendar on the cloud. That's you know chaos is going to get in there and read it. There's going to be all kinds of trouble. So maybe you've got a business where you don't want the calendar out there. Running a server allows you to to control that as well to excuse the pun. Uh, but so I, I think that makes sense for that that part of it. For the home server part, I'm not sure. But I think one of the themes of this show really is it's $20. And if you've got an extra Mac around the house that you can run this on, it's $20. So Well, if, if you find even one of these services useful, like you said, David, it's $20. Yeah, so yeah. like even just a time machine might be the reason why you want to get it and everything else is gravy. And maybe you turn a few of them on to see if they work. And maybe you find something you can use it for, you know, listening to the show. Hopefully today you'll get a couple ideas. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. I'm very tempted to just run it because I'm a nerd and it's $20. <laughs> and I just want to see what I can do to make my family crazy. Now, does your family go crazy, Todd? I mean, as you're, as you're trying this stuff out on them? Yeah. Well, of course, you know, the kids, you know, the fact that, you know, you start managing their devices and it, yeah, I mean, it works nice. I can... I can, uh, you know, turn certain things off with profiles uh, if I want to. Um, you can, you can do some of the parental controls uh, right from Profile Manager and push it to all the devices or just specific ones if you want to. So, yeah, they do. I mean, for them though, a lot of it is it's it's kind of a mystery to them behind the scenes. So they do the typical thing kids do and go, "Hey, this doesn't work. Fix it." Let's talk about that some because if you're in a home environment and you're managing two, three, four people's machines, or if you're in a small office environment and you're managing a dozen machines, how can server help you? I mean, I know one of the things that it can do, and I, I kept thinking about our friend TJ and his limited bandwidth issue, um, is it can it can help you with some software updates so that you don't have to download them all the time on every single machine. Um, but it can also help you, so talk about that a little bit, but it can also help you um, manage machines and I believe iOS devices, correct? Yeah, it'll manage it'll manage both Macs and iOS devices, uh, which is really nice. And, uh, you know, the, uh, there's a service in there called Profile Manager. And what it does is you can, you can set up profiles for users, uh, for groups. So I've got a group that's for kids uh, in the household and, uh, and for devices. You can even do it at the device level uh, where you can manage all the details of the device. You can manage what shows up in the dock. Uh, you can manage, uh, like I said, parental controls. Uh, you can manage, uh, you can even manage the energy saver uh, and energy saving preferences uh, and have those things pushed to the devices and preset. So the profile manager piece is really powerful in that, uh, and it allows you to manage, like I said, all of your devices. You can do iOS and Macs. And that really is uh, probably the biggest power. It's, it's a mobile device management setup. And uh, it really, uh, you know, that part alone just, just takes the headache out of, out of setting up uh, all the kids' devices. So if all your kids get like a iOS device for Christmas or something, uh, you could actually set it up through the profiles and have it all pushed out and set up the way you want it. And can you push out software updates and say, oh, no, 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 you need to make sure that you're on the latest update because it's got security patches or no, you didn't update your apps. You need to make sure that your apps are updated or you know what, I'm going to go ahead and turn on automatic app update for you. I mean, can you can you 
do those yeah. types of things? Yeah, you can set up some of that with software updates, uh, you know, in terms of where you want them to point to. Um, there's a uh, there's a built-in caching server as well. And, and how that works is if uh, someone on your home network, let's say, downloads, uh, you know, an application, um, you know, whatever it is, and someone else now wants to add that same application to their device, instead of them hitting Apple servers and having it download again, uh, there's that, that item was cached on your server. They just go to your server and download it. So as you talked about bandwidth issues, uh, like like TJ was having, uh, he could set it up where it, it would cache whatever he downloads, save it on the server, and then all the other devices that want to update that same item would hit his server at home as opposed to going to Apple servers and trying to download it over the Internet. So, now, yeah. I understood that only applies to Macs. Does that also apply to iOS stuff? Uh, it's mainly for Macs, yeah. I mean, it does apply to some of the iOS stuff now. Uh, as well. So yeah, it'll, it'll work with iOS software too. And it'll also work with iBooks uh, as well. So any books oh, that you've that, downloaded? Yeah, when, when a book is a gigabyte, you know, there's that some really Max crazy Sparky authors. That guy is just yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> exactly. That, that yeah. alone would save uh, Apple servers, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, well, we got to keep Apple in business, that's for sure. They need all our help. Yeah, absolutely. And it does, yeah, it'll, it'll cache all of that stuff. And what's great about it is the caching service itself is really uh, zero configuration. So you don't have to configure all of your devices to use it. Uh, they automatically respond to the fact that they're on a home network with a caching uh, server, and it looks for it automatically and will pull it from there. So uh, it, they've really thought that one through really well. And see where the count calendars and contacts to me is not as attractive, and mail certainly is not as attractive. I don't want to try and run my own mail server. But the uh, yeah. the idea of device management and and software updates. I think that is a real benefit. Yeah, I mean, because David, how many Macs do you have in your house? Uh, well, we have as many Macs. Well, we have five Macs now. Yeah, you have all as many Macs as people plus yeah plus some plus and the then, iMac that's kind of on its last legs. Yeah, and then you've got some iOS devices. Todd, is is this how people? Um, you know, I think of our friend Fraser Spears and and uh, Bradley Chambers who run you know one to one programs and iOS devices and schools. Is this how they do it, or is this an option for doing it? If if I wanted to deploy, you know, iOS devices on a mass scale, or I, there there actually are specialized applications, I think, and, and specialized configures that will do that. But is this another option for mass deployment of? Yeah, this is this, yeah, this is an option uh, for doing that for sure. And and there are a number of schools because I've talked to uh, administrators at schools who. You know, I've watched the tutorials and had questions, and yeah, they're you know a lot of them do use uh, OS 10 server to manage all of that stuff. Uh, you know, sometimes if they want more technical things, like you said, there are other packages out there they use. Uh, I think like Casper is one of them, and you know, there's a few few ones that are just a little bit more technical. But yeah, you could absolutely uh, run this off of there. And like I said, there's a number of schools that do. So what's the difference between that and something like Apple Remote, the Apple software package for remotely? Um, controlling uh, Macs. You mean? Oh, you mean their app, the, the remote desktop? Yeah, I mean the the, the Apple's remote uh, uh, desktop basically would allow you to you know log into a Mac, okay, and have those Macs there, and then you can still push updates to those machines if you wanted to. So that kind of gets back to what Katie said about pushing different software updates uh, live and doing it instantaneously. That's probably where you would use the remote desktop is to manage it that way. And also to fix problems. So if someone's got a problem, you know, it's like screen sharing. You log into their machine and yeah. and fix what's going on. So that's kind but, of the difference. But if I went with the $20 Apple uh, Mac OS X server, I would be able to push updates out to the remote 
uh, Macs without the remote desktop software? Uh, no, you wouldn't be able to push them instantaneously. Um, what you can do is set up where they get their updates from. Okay. Uh, so and, when, and, and, so. and you can also set up what updates they get as well. So you can – so like for instance if uh, – because it also has a uh, software update service in there. So let's say yeah. uh, there's an update that you know breaks something. Uh, what you can do if you have all your Macs pointed to your server for updates, you could turn that update off so that that update doesn't get pushed and people don't download it on their machines and then you got to go fix it. Yeah, but the actual update process would be them – them actually pushing the update button, but it's just grabbing it from the local network instead of going up to the internet. Yeah, right. Exactly. I'll tell you one thing I'm getting out of this whole session is I would not want to be on a network that Katie was in charge of. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying. Come on over. It'll be fine. I could just see like all of a sudden my iTunes, I'd be looking at it and like all the John Coltrane would just start slowly deleting you know, David, and I hear this maniacal laugh in another room. There's a way you could protect yourself from that. And okay, yeah, I'm game. You, you could VPN back into your server. Yeah, we haven't gone there much. So we, we kind of yeah. started talking about VPN at the beginning, but I wanted to kind of slow things down a little bit. <laughs> um, maybe we should talk about that, the idea. So what does that get you when you set up a VPN tunnel for your for your server? Yeah, I mean, a server has a built-in VPN. So what you can do is set it, you know, set it up so that uh, your machines would basically VPN tunnel back into your home, and it would work like any other VPN service provider. So, uh, you know, your, your all of your traffic can go through that VPN line. So, again, if you're out in a coffee shop, it'll protect you, uh, you know, a little bit in terms of the information going back and forth. Uh, it's not as sophisticated as a Cloak. Like, I know Katie uh, loves using Cloak. Uh, it's not right. as sophisticated as Cloak in that it's not like it senses, oh, you're in an unsecure network, turn yourself on. Uh, you still have to remember to turn this on, uh, but it does it does work as a VPN, and I I use it all the time. And uh, and that VPN will also, uh, you know, allow you to get to uh, some of the information on your network if you're not running, you know, a kind of registered domain. If you're just running like your own, you know, just home server and that's it, and you don't want to register a domain, you can VPN back into your server and then have access to things like file sharing and and those kinds of things. I know this is completely off topic, but Katie, I am a believer in Cloak now too. It's really great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a great. It really is a great app. I I, I like it too. It's really cool. I was you like, know, they oh, should, I don't they need should that. sponsor us or something. We should talk to people uh, over there. Tell everybody I don't need it, and then I started using it. I'm like, oh my goodness, what have I been missing? Yeah. So basically, if you turn on the VPN server on your Mac Mini at home, let's say you're you're at my house and you don't like all the restrictions that I've put on on my network or you know whatever <laughs> you're you're in Starbucks or or anything like that, yeah. you you turn on the VPN service, you configure it for your iOS device, and what you're actually doing is you're tunneling back to your to your home network. Um, so it's going to be as though you're using your home internet connection with whoever that ISP is. Yeah, uh, yeah, it basically kind of works that way. And then your data is encrypted. So like when you use uh, Cloak or one of those kinds of things, right, you're VPNing through their server. Um, You just kind of have set up your own VPN server, so to speak. So, yeah. Speed-wise, I I guess a lot of it would depend on both the speed of your server and the speed of your home ISP and the speed of the network that you're on because those are all potential bottlenecks. Uh, Reasonable or... 
Uh, yeah, it's reasonable. I mean, again, depending on what you're what you're trying to do with it. Um, but yeah, I've used uh, I use it when I go to Starbucks or something like that. I set up the VPN, and it really hasn't slowed me down in terms of surfing the net. Uh, you know, doing basic things like that. And I even have my online backups on. Um, with uh, you know, I use Backblaze for that, but uh, it's work. It works fine. I, I really haven't had too much of a slowdown at all, uh, other than obviously you get the slowdown that you get in a coffee shop because everybody's on that network. So right, right. Well, there's just so many things involved there. It's your immediate internet connection. It's the connection back at home. It's the bandwidth between your computer and the drive. Right. I can think of about you know seven different ways that thing can get slow. Yeah, and it does depend on, like you said, a lot too. You know what your connection at home is like. I mean, if you got a really slow connection. Uh, you'd have to try it out, but it might not be the best thing to do, uh, especially if you're sending you know all your traffic back and forth over it. It could be slow. Did I, did I tell you, Katie, now I have a new rule in my house that before we start podcasting, how I wander around the house and say, no Netflix, no Netflix, no Netflix. <laughs> Good idea. I bet if you, had a, if you had a server, you might be able to do something about that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I maybe I should, maybe that's why I should spend the twenty dollars. Can I can I turn off Netflix for the entire house before I start podcasting with my server? Yeah, I don't know if you. I don't know that you can go to that level of control. But uh, well, you know, I do think you know I'm not a minister like Todd, but I'm thinking I might get some incense and just burn it and walk around the house and just chant it over and over again because it seems like I still do find Netflix playing sometimes while I'm podcasting. <laughs> Maybe that's what you can do with your Wemos is you can hit the button and lights in all the rooms will start to flicker and everybody knows that that's the cue to to turn off their Netflix. That's a good one. It's like so a, if I could set up a like Wemo rule. on air light. I wonder if I could set up a Wemo rule. This is kind of a fantasy of mine. If I hold a button down, it goes up to open DNS and puts Netflix on a blacklist until I hold the button down again. Ooh, that would be good. I'm not sure if that's possible, but that's a, that's a thought. I think you should email Brett Terpston. He'll have a solution for you by morning. He'll send me a script uh, w before I sit up from the computer. Yeah. Yeah. That now that one would be a good one to share. I think that one will get hit quite often. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, you know, the, the, all that being said, I, I do think the idea of this remote access and and remote management that a home network can give you or a small business network can give you is something that that again may be the the thing that justifies $20 from somebody out there listening. Yeah, and it's something you can try out, you know. It it doesn't doesn't hurt to give it a shot and you you'll probably discover maybe one thing even that uh, that might make it worth it. Well, Todd, it sounds like we've we've talked generally about the features of of server. I want to talk a little bit about use cases, both both home and small business. But before we go there, um, I do want to take a break and talk about our third sponsor for this episode, and that is our good friends over at Squarespace. And uh, Dave and I have both talked about Squarespace extensively. We're, we're big fans of Squarespace. Squarespace, as you probably know by now, is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, online store, whatever it is that you want to do. And um, of course, I had to do the ad spot this week because get this, you can get your free trial and 10% off by visiting squarespace.com slash users. Or enter the coupon code. You ready, David? I'm ready. Klingon. Yeah, Klingon. How cool are the folks at Squarespace? 
I, I'm not sure, Katie. I'd be a lot more impressed if you could do the ad read in Klingon. I don't know if I can do that, but I will try. So, okay. so I've been using Squarespace for a while now, and I love the ability. Um, they've made some major changes to their layout builder. So they've got the layout builder, and I use it primarily as blog, but you can use it as a portfolio. You can use it as an online store. You can do whatever you want. But they've made some major changes to the interface builder. So everything you see is drag and drop simple. Uh, I was doing a post just today, and the post had some text. It had some links. It had a quote out from somebody else. And then I ended it with a video. And I was able to do everything by dragging and dropping elements into the layout builder. And what I saw was what I got. And it was really hard to make something that looked poorly because, you know, Squarespace starts with this template-based system where you pick a template and then you can customize it to your heart's content. If you decide, no, maybe I don't want the sidebar. Maybe I want the sidebar over here. Maybe I want to change the font. They have beautiful fonts, by the way. Uh, they've really done their fonts right. You know, maybe I want to change the colors, whatever it is I want to use. I want to embed videos. I want to embed uh, quotes. I want to add HTML links. I want to add source code. I want to do plain text. I want to do rich text. I want to do markdown, whatever it is you want to do. And then every time I log into Squarespace every couple of months or so, I see that they've added something else, uh, including they've expanded their commerce selection. So every site now on Squarespace comes with a free online store built right in with Stripe. You don't have to worry about payment processing or anything like that. You just log in the information on their very basic plans. You can uh, accept donations or, or do a simple shopping cart, but the further up you get, you can you can start doing very complicated things and, and run an entire online business. So go check them out. There's a two-week free trial. You don't have to give them a credit card or anything, but when you do decide to transfer all your information over to Squarespace, they make it very easy to import and make sure you use that special offer code. What was it, David? I forgot. Klingon. Klingon. With a K. That's right. K-L-I-N-G-O-N to get 10% off your purchase and show your support for Mac Power users. But really, it's just showing your support for me. So thank you to Squarespace for supporting Mac Power users and, uh, and, and for really for the awesome super discount code. Katie Floyd, did you know that Bing has a English to Klingon translator? I'm sure they do. Yeah. It's a real language. Yes. There's a well, there's it, a dictionary and everything. The problem is that they use a different uh letter system. So I don't know what it it is. I can't read it. Oh. Simple. Can you can you pronounce it? Because I could send you the link if you could pronounce it for us. <laughs> no. I, there's part of me that knows that on weekends that Katie dresses up and speaks Klingon to her friends. Right? It, it, the costumes are kind of itchy. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, you're the definitely not spending you know? the, you're, you're definitely not spending your time watching war games. No, but I, I am watching OS 10 server videos. Okay. <laughs> uh, by the way, this isn't our feedback show, but I got called out on my war games uh, knowledge. And that is why I love the Mac Power user listeners. Yes. Because we got I, so, I got much, so much feedback about Red Alert versus DEFCON 5. <laughs> so uh, when we're talking about our our uh, our lists in 1Password, I don't know if you listen to this show or not, but the uh, I had mentioned that I have a DEFCON 5 list. And it had been a long time since I'd watched War Games, I have to admit. And then I, I listened to the episode that the Incomparable did out of it. So I went back and watched it. And War Games had DEFCON 1 was 
really bad and DEFCON 5 was okay. And in my mind, I had those switched. Yeah, DEFCON 5 is like it's a sunny, happy day. Yeah, but in my defense, it had been like 30 years. So I think I'll I'll be okay with that. But but did you I change your list? Bad. Did you change your folder? Uh, uh, immediately. Immediately. Okay. Because it is my DEFCON 1 list, not my DEFCON 5 list. All right. Because it's not like mine's my yellow alert list, because that would just be dumb. Yeah, it would be. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I think we digress a little bit. You think a little bit. Yeah. So where were we? Uh, we were talking about use cases for server. So um, we talked a little bit about the difference between, um, you know, having a Mac as a home server and then really using a server. And, you know, Todd, throughout the entire show, you've been giving us examples of 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 why we would do server. But mm-hmm. where can you use, you know, can you think of any other examples in the home that we haven't already covered? Uh, well, I mean, it, I, I think we've covered... Uh you know, a lot of them, as I'm just trying to look through here, uh, you know, I think we've covered pretty much uh, the gamut of it in terms of being able to just manage things. I mean, if you wanted to, you could, uh, you know, set up your own personal home website if you wanted to, uh, where you could set up a, a kind of a wiki type of a website that's built right into server. And if you wanted to, you could have it on the net if you wanted to, or you could just have it inside your home network and maybe use it as a as a family uh, kind of website thing where you could share information and and all of that. So that's another thing that we haven't covered yet that you could use it for um, for that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I think we've I think we've covered a lot of the uh, home use types of things. Uh, one more advantage that I know uh, is on there too is if you have a airport extreme base station, the the great great thing is that server will manage that uh, for you. And so you can connect it up to server, and then whenever you open a service, uh, it will automatically open the ports you need to get to to get out uh, on your router, uh, without without restarting the router, which is nice as well. Oh wow! Yeah, of course, and- Apple does a great job. If you just use all their hardware, everything will work. Right. Yeah. For now- sure. And there's an advantage to that. I mean, it makes sense why they would do it. Am I, you, know, you talk about opening up all these ports because obviously I've got to open up a port if I want to talk to calendars and I've got to open up a port if I want to do the wiki and I've got to open up a port if I want to do iMessages and all of this. Am I exposing myself by running server to any more danger or at least a, a level that I should be concerned about? I mean, do I, do, I, do I have to, if I'm going to install server, need to up my knowledge about security and these types of things or is it pretty secure, you know, off the shelf? Well, I mean, you know, when whenever you use a service that's going, you know, outside your home network, uh, you know, it takes a port to get out. And so, you know, obviously, once you expose that port, yeah, I mean, there are some things to think about. Um, but most of the, the ports like Calendar and Context, they're very specific. So there's not as much to worry about with that. Uh, one of the things I do tell uh, home users a lot is if you're if you're not going to use uh, you know the secure shell script, you know use terminal to kind of SSH back into into your home. I usually just tell them turn that off because most home users won't use it because that uh, you know that particular port is kind of like a beacon uh, for uh, bots and things like that that are looking to crack in because if they can get in at a terminal level, they can kind of uh, control your server a little bit. Uh, so that's probably the one that that I uh, key in on. Um, but uh, 
you know, if you run the run the firewall uh, on your server, and uh, if you're just using some of the basic services, uh, you you should be fine. Uh, one of the other uh, software applications I use sometimes just to monitor networks, uh, and it's really eye-opening, can be annoying at first. Uh, and I think you mentioned I did a little series on it is Little Snitch, um, because Little Snitch now monitors incoming traffic as well as outgoing traffic. Uh, so that kind of gives you a good idea, too, as to what's going on on your network. But I really haven't run into uh, to too many problems with it at all. As long as you, like I said, I just keep, you know, make, turn off SSH. And and your screencast covers security kind of as you're going through these items. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I in the screencast, I kind of go step by step through uh, basically all of the buttons and everything that's on there. So that way you don't hit the wrong button uh, and you know at least what everything does before you turn it on. Now, we've made reference to setting up one of these servers in your work um, throughout the show, but how do you see it differently in the small business environment? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, in the, I think in the small business environment, depending on what you're uh, looking at running, uh, I know a lot of businesses nowadays are, you know, still run Exchange and things like that. Obviously, if you're going to run those, um, you know, sticking with uh, the Microsoft product is probably fine. Uh, you, you could have some use cases where maybe you want to, you know, run the server uh, for maybe some of the Macs uh, on there because a server, you know, uh, directory can, you know, you can connect that to um, Microsoft's Active Directory and you can run those two together and have uh, OS X server cover some of the things that are specific more to Mac users, uh, like if you want to use Time Machine or some of those things. So uh, you can do it that way. Uh, but yeah, in, in a regular small business that just wants to do, again, basic, some basic file sharing, wants to manage devices, uh, manage backups to make sure those things happen, uh, you know, ser- server is a, a really good product for that. And, and throughout this show, I very intentionally keep saying small business because as I look at the server product today, it's really not built for a large scale business. Is, is that right? Yeah, I mean, you, I mean... Yeah, not not with what most people use out there, um, and especially you know because there are some limitations with uh, you know hardware and bandwidth. I mean, you can get you know you can get you know pretty you can manage a pretty decent sized uh, small business, but yeah, most most large businesses they usually are running uh, serve uh, you know OS ten server along with like a you know Microsoft server or a or a you know Linux solution something like that. So what what is a decent sized business when you say that that could run? Uh, you know it all depends on it all depends on how many devices you have running it and how many you expect to be hitting the server at the same time. Uh, I think like and, and frankly, what kind of hardware you're running the server off of? Exactly, and and I think you know on a mini, um, you know I haven't really done a lot of research on the top limit, um, but yeah, I mean you could. I mean I've seen places trying to run you know eighty machines off of it. Uh, they they claim that works. I haven't really had any experience with it myself, but uh, well, I never I never thought it would have got that high. Yeah, I I didn't either. And like I said, that's a claim, so I haven't verified it. But it's uh, uh, you know some some people are you know pushing the limits of it. But it's certainly fine for your family or a small business. You're not going to have a problem, no. even just running it off these. Because I know guys that run law offices off Mac OS 10 server with a Mac Mini. Yeah, you know they. They've gone through the experience like Katie's firm of spending $20,000 on this server that looks like it could, you know, take off and go, you know, bomb a foreign country, <laughs> you know, and then they went and bought the $1,000 Mac mini and, and they installed Mac OS 10 server and they've never looked back. I mean, it's, I know that's a thing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's very, uh, yeah, it's very easy to do that. And, and if you have a, you know, you got a small business, 
uh, you really don't need to, you know, invest in all of that. A lot of times they have very specific things they just want to get done, and, and you've got a few users. And so server is a perfect product for that, uh, for that market, that's for sure. And one of the nice things, and you made reference to this at the beginning of the show, is when you use a more traditional large-scale server, it's really quite expensive just to keep the hardware running, whereas Mac OS X server is built to run on these little Mac minis. And the, you know, is it the carbon footprint? Is that the right terminology? But the, the amount of power they use every month is, is significantly less. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like I said, the difference between my Mac Pro, my old Mac Pro, and this, uh, you know, I noticed the difference big time in my utility bill, my electric bill. It was, it now, was, did you point that out to your wife and say, "See, honey, now I just need to buy another, you know, Mac Mini." I use every right? I use every angle I can. I still get that look like, "Okay, quit trying." You know, you're not getting anything new right now. But yeah, I, I definitely try to use every angle I can. <laughs> well, well, you know, we live in the same area, and so I think one of our goals is you and I need to get together, but we need to keep our wives apart. Yeah, I think you're right because we don't want them trading notes. Yeah, we don't we don't want any collaboration on that. That's for sure. It's hard it's hard yeah. enough without it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Todd, I know one of the the biggest issues with with our office and with our server is we've got all of this data and we've got everything is constantly changing and backup is a huge problem. Now, mm -hmm. As I understand running the server on a Mac mini, you're just running it on top of the regular OS. So I would assume but but you also have all of this data backing up to the mini and whether it's to the existing hard drive or whether it's to an external hard drive or a network attached storage or whatever. Um, I would assume that the, the traditional backup solutions that you would use with your Mac would also work to back up all of your server settings and all of your server data as well, though, because certainly backup is going to be a big concern if you're using a server either in a home or in a small business environment. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So Time Machine, uh, you can use Time Machine to back up all of your server data. So it'll back up just like it normally does as well as all of your server information. Um, you know, I usually, you know, still make a clone uh, of the of my main server drive uh, just in case something goes down so I can boot from that. Uh, I use SuperDuper for that, but you could use Carbon Copy Cloner or whatever. Uh, so you certainly, uh, so I, so I do that as well. Uh, you could even, if you have an, if you set up the open directory, where you are using the network accounts, you can back that up separately if you want to. Uh, but you really don't need to, because if you're running time machine, it'll, it'll take care of all of it. Yeah. I was going to ask, is that also backing up, um, people's home folders if their home folders are stored on the server? Yeah. If, if your home folders are stored on the server, uh, time machine, you know, backs up everything that's on that, on that server. Now, if you are installing it on an external drive, let's say, um, then you might want to back up that drive, uh, as well. But yeah, it, 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 uh, it backs up everything that's on your, uh, main computer, just like it does with any other time machine backup. And if you're using one of these online backup services that supports an external drive, um, that kind of allows you to consolidate it consolidate the data and for your five dollars a month you back up quite a bit yeah exactly and and i do that as well yeah i definitely recommend an online backup because that's that's helpful as well wow uh, you know we we asked it to the audience and we had some questions and one market that we've danced around but we haven't really talked about is education and we had a listener write in saying hey he's got about 30 iMacs in the school with about the same number of ipads and none of them are being managed and they're thinking about buying a Mac Mini and OS X server. And the question is, would that solve their problem? 
yeah, I think it would. I've had, uh, like I said, I've talked to people in education that have used uh, a Mac mini server to manage uh, all of those devices, uh, which they, they set up. You can set up accounts that the kids can use uh, to log into any machine then, and they get their stuff that shows up uh, with profile manager and all of that. So, yeah, that, that it should work well. And I know uh, Apple has a whole education division as well. Um, I've talked to one of the guys over there, and uh, they – yeah, they're serious about uh, using server to help education manage uh, devices. So, so what they're talking about is exactly uh, what Mac's whole education division, uh, you know, sees server as being able to manage. And you know what? If you have questions about this, you just need to head over to Todd's YouTube channel or his website. You have mm-hmm. you've got them all linked on your website too. But it, it's Todd Oltoff, but it's O L T H O F F. If you just search Todd on YouTube, you're going to find everything. And what is your website, Todd? Yeah, website is just toddoltoff.com. And okay. uh, yeah, so on there, I've got a whole technology section where I put all of the all the tutorials in order uh, on there. So you can just kind of watch them one after another. Or like you said, you can, you can also go to the YouTube channel. I've got them uh, in different playlists and things like that as well. So yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the most frequent questions I get, Todd, is about screencasting, though, because I do a lot of it, so do you, mm-hmm. and um, we have one more sponsor, and then I want to geek out a little bit on how you're doing all the screencasting, because I think this is useful for actually quite a few people. Uh, but before we do that, let's talk about our last sponsor today, and that's Pixelmator. Pixelmator is the premier application on the Mac to manage images and do drawing. I mean, it's just a great little app, and it does so much for so little, you know, in this day and age where a lot lot of the the big software in this space costs you hundreds of dollars or requires a subscription pixelmator's got you covered for just 30 bucks and it does everything i mean i've got i've been using it you know i have not used any of those big applications for years since i first bought pixelmator and they just keep getting better and better right now they're at version 3.1 marble and it's added a whole bunch of improvements to the application for the Mac Pro. It's got dual GPU support, you know, for those new Mac Pros. So both graphics cards are used simultaneously to accelerate composition. I mean, you're going to work very fast. Now it supports 16-bit per channel color images. So you're going to keep all the great image quality intact. Um, they've partnered with Milk Print on Demand, which allows you to order prints from right in the application. Uh, they're already talking about this 3.2 update sandstone, and I'm going to put a link in the show notes. Katie, have you seen this video? Yes, I have. It's completely nuts. They, they're, there's, there's a family on the beach, and they've got they, they just draw a picture over the dad. And it's, it's a very fat, wide marker, very rough. It's like three lines. And then he disappears from the picture, and the sand goes in right behind him. It, it actually creeped me out. It was so good. I could be erased that easily. How do you know you I, haven't been already? Well, at the Katie Floyd Library, it's distinctly possible. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, so it's just amazing. They've got this stuff going on. If you're really curious about it, though, I always recommend people uh, – if you're interested at all in getting better at your image manipulation and getting your photos better, go to pixelmator.com slash tutorials. You don't even need to buy the application. Just go there and watch a couple of their videos. And there's all these great things you can do with images. It's got the way you can organize magnetically images on the screen. It's got the ways you can melt images. You can reorganize. You can recolor. They've got these selection tools that are just completely nuts. You've got the ability to cut an image off the screen and move it across the screen. They've got a great example with a kid on a skateboard they're doing that with. Um, 
all this stuff is really accessible and people listening to the show are going to be like, well, I've never really learned that stuff. And it sounds like you have to be a professional. No, you don't. You just have to spend $30 and get Pixelmator and watch a couple of videos and you can do it. And they've got a sale going as we record. This is $15. I suspect that'll be over by the time the show goes live, but that's why you should really be watching Katie and I's blogs and the, uh, the Twitter account. Cause we've been talking about that, but even at $30, you're just in and you're done. And they've come out with all these great updates. They've been a longtime sponsor of the show. We really support it, but they're also just really essential to both Katie and I. We both use this application all the time to make better images. So go to pixelmator.com and check it out. Um, watch some of the videos. Go ahead and buy yourself a copy and let them know you heard about it from us. And thanks, Pixelmator, for all your support. Now, Todd, I get all, all sorts of email about my screencasts, and I, I don't claim to be very good at screencasts, but um, I have a lot of fun making them, and I've got a little better over the years just by kind of banging my head against the wall. And, and we had Dawn on here recently, and we talked a little bit about it, but I wanted to talk to you about it as well. What is the application you're using to get your screencasting done? Yeah, just like uh, Don, I use uh, ScreenFlow uh, to do all my recording and editing. Uh, I mean, it, that's probably the it's the best application I've found for for doing both. Uh, you know, there's several that can do screen capturing, but uh, with ScreenFlow, with all the editing ability that's built into it, it just uh, it makes the workflow really, really, uh, really fast and really slick. Yeah, I, I just remember over the years how this has this has evolved. I mean, at one point I was using applications that were really good at recording the screen but didn't do anything else. And then you had to put the video into iMovie or Final Cut and then record audio and do all this work. And now ScreenFlow is a front, you know, front-to-end solution. You just start recording there and you finish it. Um, do yeah. you script out? Because you do a lot of screencasting. Do you script it out or do you just turn the mic on and go? I, I pretty much just turn the mic on and go uh, as opposed to scripting it. Uh, that's just, you know, so I am a pastor, so I'm used to talking a lot. So uh, for me, that's how I like to do it. If I if I script, then it sounds really robotic. And uh, then I could just, you know, might as well just use the voice inside the Mac to do the robot voice. Uh, so, yeah, so for me, I that that's how I do it. I just turn on the mic and go. Uh, there are some times where I might use a little bit of a script. Uh, you know, I do some screencasts for Don, and, and when I do the introduction, I'll do a script on that uh, so that that stays uh, pretty standard. Uh, but otherwise, no, I just I just turn on the mic and start talking. That's, that's me too. Uh, over the years, one technique I've kind of evolved with is once I start recording, I just keep going. And sometimes things will go a little wonky halfway through mm -hmm. and rather than stop and you know because there's actually a process involved in ScreenFlow. when you stop the recording then you can discard it and restart and reset a lot of times i just leave the mic hot and leave it recording and i will go through and do a couple takes of one part or another and then later take that out while i'm editing have you ever tried that yeah i do the same thing uh, it's a lot easier to me it's a lot easier just to like you said power through and then go back and edit uh, and like i said the ScreenFlow makes it so easy because you can find just the right cut point and uh, stop it there and like you said retake a section and it just fits right in seamlessly that's what really makes the software so great one of the tricks about screencasting that um i i don't know if i've ever talked about in the show is getting the screen resolution correct and we talked about it a little bit with dawn but i don't think i really made it as clear because i got a lot of email after that show um i shoot at uh, 1280 by 720 the screencasts are shot 
at that resolution. And every time I teach someone about screencasting, they say, yeah, but it looks terrible on my Mac or it looks terrible on my iMac. And I'm like, don't worry about it. it. It's just a question of getting it right so it looks nice and tight at the end on the iPad and on this this ideal resolution. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, yeah. I mean, I, I will generally, for YouTube, I'll just, uh, I'll just, uh, just screencast at the native resolution uh, and just do it that way. And, you know, seems seems to be okay for those YouTube ones. But I've done it too before at, yeah, 128720. That way you've got it just right for... Uh, like you said, television and for that standard stretch screen uh, look to it. They're white. Well, for white the screen. iBooks, yeah, for the iBooks, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, if I'm going to be doing something where I'm zooming in a lot, I will shoot in native resolution. Right. And then I keep fidelity as I zoom in. But uh, that's another kind of trick I use. Uh, another question I get frequently is okay, I get ScreenFlow as the product that I need, but I want to get my iPad or my iPhone on the screen. And what do you use for that? And you and I were talking before the show. Um, there's a couple different products. I'm a big fan of Reflector. Yeah, I am too. Uh, I like I like Reflector. The other one is like what you're talking about was Air Server. Um, and Reflector. What I like about Reflector is you can uh, actually put the bezel of the iOS device around it. So if you wanted to do a screencast for uh, an application that's an iPhone specific application, you could actually. Uh, have on your screen an iPhone uh, with uh, everything that you do on your iPhone right in the middle there and just record it with the bezel around it. Or you could do the same thing for an iPad. And it's kind of neat. They have uh, you know settings on there, whether it's the white version or the black version. Uh, so you can really you know customize it a little bit and, uh, and show exactly what you're trying to, trying to teach. Yeah, and then the idea is you, you load up ScreenFlow and then you set it to record your Mac screen. And then you start up Reflector, and Reflector has a full screen mode that puts the bezel on. And you'll see the entire you know screen goes gray or black or whatever background color you want, and then your, your device shows up on the screen. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I found is because Reflector works over air, it's not a hard wire to your device, occasionally I will find a lag shows up, sometimes after I've been recording for some time. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that happens, I don't always catch it. You know, where I'll be looking at my iPhone instead of the screen while I'm recording. And then I'll go back to edit and I'll see there's a noticeable lag or things are just stuttering a little bit. And maybe that's because, uh, you know, the other four people in my house are watching Netflix at the moment. That'll do it. Uh, uh, but the um, so you do have to pay attention to that. Uh, but even when I'm alone in the house and doing it, sometimes I get a lag once in a while. And I find if I just shut down Reflector and, and restart it, it, it kind of blows out the cache or does something Ye- that helps me out yeah i've had the same experience every once in a while you know if, if the network's getting bogged down because it is going wireless uh i'll have those problems you know the other thing i like about reflector too is you can uh you could mirror more than one ios device on the screen uh, oh yeah it's crazy when i did the uh the byword i did a little screencast on byword uh probably about a year ago when they came out with the icloud sync and at one point i had my ipad and my iphone on the screen at the same time and it was live updating the iCloud sync across them. And I got so many emails about this saying, how did you do that? What kind of magic software do you have? And I'm like, it, I think it costs $15. You know, yeah. it wasn't a big deal, you know? Yeah, it's really cheap. And, and that, that really is nice. Yeah, when you're trying to show things syncing up and you want to show how that works, I mean, that, that is probably the, uh, you know, the best piece of software I've used. I mean, AirServer is nice too. Uh, and sometimes AirServer, you know, depending on, uh, the resolution and everything might give a clearer picture, uh, but it all depends on kind of what you're trying to get out of it and how you record. 
And then there's also like a, a Blackmagic makes a box that converts HDMI to, um, it goes HDMI out to um, DisplayPort, I believe, in. So you can you can put a live copper wire between your device and your Mac, which is going to give you the, the highest communication rate. Yeah. But it's, it's just going to give you the actual screen. It's not going to put the bezel around. You're going to have to do that in post-production. And I have one. I bought it because Air Reflector didn't exist when I was doing these things. But since Reflector came out, I don't use it very often. Yeah, there there really isn't as big of a need anymore because the uh, the software has really gotten that good. It's really caught up. The other big thing for screencasting you're going to need is a decent mic. Um, and I use this Rode Podcaster that I use for the for the show. Uh, what do you use? I use an uh, Audio Technica. Uh, I think it's ATR twenty one hundred, and uh, just have it USB. It's connected by USB, and then I've got a a pop filter in front of it. So that, uh, you know, when I'm making my P's and that kind of stuff, it's not, you know, making a loud, a loud noise when I'm, when I'm speaking. So for, you know, it's a hundred dollars to buy screen flow. It's $15 for a reflector, um, probably a couple hundred bucks in a microphone, you know, for a pretty low investment, you can make some really professional quality screencasts and frankly, a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely takes time, but you're right. It's really not, not that hard to do anymore. Uh, the cost has come way down. And with, with software like ScreenFlow, uh, animations and everything are kind of built in a little bit. So you can you can really do a lot with it. Yeah. I, I know, did you see that screencast I did recently for um, for Smile on the Text Expander Touch 2.5? Uh, yeah, I think I did. So I, I put um, gestures into the application just with animations in ScreenFlow. I mean, it's not that hard. Yeah, exactly. And that's a, and that's a great way to do it, too. So you can kind of show how things work. Uh, it really is. I mean, it's a, like I said, I, I highly recommend that piece of software. I mean, I don't, I don't need any, uh, I don't need final cut. I don't need anything else to do, uh, screencasting with that's like you said, it's, that's a start to finish application. Now, Katie, are you just off drinking right now? Or are you, uh, yeah, are you I've, been off, I've been drinking the whole show. Okay. I can tell <laughs> that, that, that cold medicine is getting to you, right? Blood wine. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Blood now, wine. <laughs> You got that. That's good. Uh, yeah. No, I'm. I'm curious because I. I want to do more screencasting. And you know, Todd, I was noticing a lot of things that you were doing. I, I knew that you were using ScreenFlow because I noticed some of the transition. But you were doing things a lot better than I was. Like I didn't know that there was a blur feature in ScreenFlow. I. I can't find that. Where is that? And how do you do that? I need to go back and I need to watch. Uh, Don McAllister did a series of tutorials on ScreenFlow. Maybe that would help me out. Oh, definitely. Yeah, if you watch if you watch the series he did, that's a you know that's a great kind of masterclass on it. Um, yeah, there's a yeah there's a a blur feature in there um, that you can do so you can you know take out certain things you don't want people to see. You know if it's serial numbers and things like that. Uh, you can also sort of highlight certain boxes and blur the background around it. Uh, yeah. It really it really has some neat stuff in there. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, even just like putting your characters as you type on the screen, that's a, an addition they made with an update a couple of years ago that before you needed a separate app for, and it was this big, you know, big process. Uh, a lot of the stuff is just no, it's a checkbox now. Right. Yeah, it's so much easier. So much easier. Great application. I, I just think that's the way people need to learn about this stuff. Having written books that um, have screencasts in them and books that don't, I can't imagine writing a book without a screencast in it anymore because for the kind of information that we're trying to convey, you can't get better than looking over someone's shoulder and just watching them do it. Oh, no doubt. 
no doubt. I mean, trying to read that and go step by step through, you know, even the stuff uh, working here with server, because uh, I had to learn, you know, using some of those books. Uh, it, it that's a chore. It's really difficult. So seeing somebody do it, uh, you're able to master a lot of the details a lot quicker. Well, Todd, you're you're one of my heroes. You, you've got something that you're very passionate about, and you went and you made all this great content, and you put it out in the world, and now it's you know making it easier for other people, and we all appreciate it. So, if you're out there and you're interested at all in setting up a Mac OS X server, I highly recommend going through Todd's voluminous uh, video series, and he's got like Katie said, there's some other great uh, screencasts on there as well. So go to Todd. Oltoff.com, T-O-D-D-O-L-T-H-O-F-F.com, or just search Todd Oltoff on YouTube, and you're going to find a bunch of great stuff. Uh, and go subscribe. You have 8,000 subscribers now. That's impressive. Yeah, wow. I got a, got a decent number, and uh, yeah, I love the interaction. So if you get on there and get stuck, you can just leave a comment, and I, I do my best to try to answer all those comments on there as best I can. So love, love, love I, I hope it. you get a I hope you get a big Mac power user bump because we've got some great listeners out there that are definitely going to want to subscribe to the stuff you're doing. And Todd, where else can people find you? Uh, well, you can find me on uh, Twitter uh, at T Oltoff. Uh, so just the T in front. I'm also on uh, Google Plus a lot. So if you just look up uh, Google Plus, just look up Todd Oltoff, uh, you'll see me on there. I also kind of post some of that stuff on uh, Google Plus there as well. And uh, like I said, I'm also doing some stuff with uh, co-location if you want to host your Mac Mini somewhere with uh, Mac Stadium. I do some stuff on their blog as well. So those are those are kind of all the places you can find me. I'm really getting into social media now that Katie has set up this Google Plus community. We should mention that, that we have a Mac Power Users community on Google Plus. We've got over well over 300 people on there now. It's pretty awesome. We keep and, forgetting to mention it at the beginning of the show. But they keep finding it. <laughs> they're answering each other's questions. They're sharing tips with each other. They're having a little conversations in there. And I try to pop in from time to time. And David's popped in once or twice, I think. I've been in there a few times, but I, it's hard right now. I, I just got done with a big trial and a bunch of other things, so I'm kind of under the gun right now. But I'll, I'll be in there more often as time frees up for me. Yeah, it really works well, especially when you have those, uh, those social environments. People, like you said, people tend to answer each other's questions as well, which, which makes it cool. So, Katie, where can you find us? Well, you can find links to everything that we talked about in this episode on our website, at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MacPowerUsers. You can send us feedback to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com and you can find us on Twitter. We're at MacPowerUsers. Katie's at Katie Floyd and I'm at Mac Sparky. And I guess, yeah, check out the Google Plus community. And uh, Todd, thank you so much for joining us. I, I think we're going to have to play some more with Server and I hope other people will as well. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, thanks for having yeah. me. Oh, absolutely. And thanks to our sponsors, Belkin, Pixelmator, Squarespace, and Omni Group. We will see you all next week. 